Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files. Tonight, we have Lauren Buys, and we have our uh, Coco as well. And we may be joined by another guest at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Laura Donna Gasparata is going to try to join us as well. Uh, she's getting off work, but she's not. So basically, we're looking at 50-50 that she'll be able to join us at the bottom of the hour. And we're going to do the 4th of July special Um with you know, Lauren and uh, Coco. And the thing is, we are going to basically have two days of this. Uh, tomorrow night, we're going to be repeating the uh, same thing, uh, basically a 4th of July specials, uh, both on the Donaldson Files tomorrow night as well as the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry, and tonight as well. And we're going to uh, look at a lot of different things. I've got a list of movies once you see in the 4th of July. I kind of asked my guests to do the same thing. But before we uh, do anything on the 4th of July, I'm going to bring Coco on because Coco is from Miami, and she has some insight, <laughs> uh, insight dealing with the, 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 the collapsed building or buildings. Yeah. And so I wanted, so I wanted to kind of get your feedback on that because you were talking off the air, you know, about your yeah. personal experience. Go ahead. Well, okay, so first of all, they're called the Champlain. Champ- Chaplain Towers, I believe that's what they're called, the Chaplain Towers. Um, So it's in Surfside, Florida, which is literally, it's kind of weird because it's kind of like in Miami Beach. It's on Collins, and Collins Avenue is like the it place to be. Um, It's considered like the Beverly Hills of of Miami, (laughs) so to speak. Um, And I grew up there. I... I, um, my grandma at the time, I mean, she died, like, almost 20 years ago. But um, during the summers, I would come from L.A. or, or wherever I was living at the time, and uh, I would spend, like, my entire summer in those in that condo. And I have, like, nothing but amazing memories of that place. So um, it's really sad, really, really traumatic. Um, anyone who's, who's living there right now, I mean – so many people already have lost someone. Um, one person I know in particular, Mike Stannon, who is a Democratic strategist um, in Colorado, um, his wife is still missing. She's oh, 40 yeah. years old. Um, and the, she was a Pilates instructor and an actress, and uh, Cassandra. And, you know, he had actually – he was in Miami, and then he had a board of plane for Colorado. He was working on some some political, you know, assignment or whatever. And um, that's when he got the call that the building collapsed and, like, they couldn't find his wife. So, obviously, he went straight from uh, Colorado, like, literally an hour after he landed to um, head straight to Miami. And the building is, like, not super old. I mean, it's not new, but – considering in Miami, it was built like in 81. 
Um, mm-hmm. I know my grandma purchased it. I would say '86. I know it was before I was born. Um, and this place, I, I honestly, I, I have nothing but like really awesome memories of that place. Um, it had a huge swimming pool, and there was a gate right next to the swimming pool, and that would lead you right onto the beach. So it's like mm-hmm. a beachfront you can get in Miami. Um, but I know there were some problems um, as far as, um, I know, uh, I don't know him personally, but I, what I read was that there was a contractor who um, went to look. And, you know, the lobby was beautiful. Like, everything looked really nice until he went down to the basement where the pool pumps are. And it was flooded. And so he actually took pictures, and he told, I guess, told the board, like, you know, this needs to be fixed ASAP. And they just basically kind of ignored him. Um, like, they, they, you know, they just weren't really going to take care of it. And that's what caused the building to um, collapse was, you know, when you're so close to the ocean, guys, there was seawater being pumped into the pool drain. And they have, like, they haven't changed. If you look at the photos, like, if you go online, um, and they they were selling some condos for around, like, 700000 which is, like, not expensive in Miami. Um, they, they it, it was so outdated. Like, everything about the place was outdated from the kitchen to, to, their, to the, the gym. Tom, the gym looks like a gym from 1981. Mm-hmm. You no, know, it was nothing. They never spent any money updating. It, it's completely mm-hmm. obvious. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I mean, I, what shocked me the most, I think, was uh, now it might have gone up, but last I read, um, they were suing the board of association for only five million, and I kept thinking to myself, why is that number so low? I mean, if I had someone that I knew, I mean, I do have someone that I know that is, has been, like, missing um, in that building. She's actually, like, 101. Um, she was one of my grandma's friends. Um, so that in itself is, like, really emotional, not knowing whether she's, like, alive or not. Um, oh, you know, and, you know, a lot, it was, like, a different community. It was, like, it, like there, it wasn't, like, really an old person place. Because mm-hmm. there were people, like, in their 40s, 50s, and there, of course, there were people in the 80s and 90s that lived there. Um, but I, I, I was just so shocked at how low they were suing. I mean, I know that's going to go up. It has to go up. Because, if, if you I know, just, um, without, yeah, go, go ahead. Interject for a second. Um, in the late um, 80s, early 90s, I worked in interior design when I was living in Palm Beach, and a lot of our clients yeah. were in Miami. So we would go up yeah. there for some of our clients, as you said, really high-end clients, you know, um, early um, millions and, and, and higher. And one of the main concerns was that seawater getting into the pool area, into the cement. Right. And once it would seep into there, okay, structural engineers would have to come in there. And it was earlier than just what, um, you know, the, the, the boards would tell them to come in, say, if it was five years, you know, to, to inspect because because of exactly what you're saying. Because once that, that water would seep in to the cement, okay, it would it would weaken weaken the whole foundation. And be interestingly enough, it, it, the one thing that is good with time 
is that progress allows us to have these new inventions, really. And we do have things available to us now, um, structural engineers, where they're able to fill without without spending millions and millions of dollars. If they were were kept this up, they could actually, it's almost like like a very, very strong, I don't want to say glue because I don't have the technical term for it, but they're actually able to imbue this into the cement, and they could have, if it was handled properly, they could have prevented this, and that's what's oh, really absolutely. horrific. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and this, this is also, I want to read for you guys. This is from, um, this is from an article I, I, I read. And the, the guy, the contractor who went in, you know, he, he was talking about a staff member that thought it was some waterproofing issues. Um, and the guy, the guy, Jose, said, you know, um, I thought to myself that that's not normal. And this is, this is how bad it was. They pumped the pool equipment so frequently that the building had to replace pump motors every two years. Oh, oh, oh my. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, I mean, this is, you know, uh, this goes all the way back to, um, and he actually, I'm, lo- I'm looking at the photographs. It's insane. He photographed, oh my God, it, it, it looks, it looks like a tornado exploded that's how bad it looks um and the pool contractor photographed and he was going to make a bid basically to the association of how much it's need to repair and it was going to be like in the millions right Um, right. and again again this this condo is not that old it's only 40 years old it's not like it was built in the 50s it's not like it's built in the 50s this is built literally in 81 right um so i mean it was like he was basically struck by the lack of maintenance on the lower level and the amount of water. The, t- the tower seemed so unusual that the contractor mentioned it to a building staff member who was showing him around. Now, Koki, isn't there a sister condo? Yeah. To there, this okay, yeah. so, yes, there's a sister, there's a yeah. sister condo. Um, yeah, hold on. Like, yeah, yeah, Koki, Koki. Yeah, Koki, hold on yes. that thought. I'm going to bring you right back. This is Tom Donaldson with Koki Konsky. Uh, Lauren Bosch joining us tonight. On the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this particular segment will be followed uh, by uh, be sponsored by Buffalo Wild Wings. If you want to be an official sponsor of our show, here's what you do. You email labachelor40 at gmail.com, and a sales, a sales representative will be contacted you on the right program and the right uh, to do the right time program to do to, to advertise on this show. Uh, and advertise on the show, and so please do so. It's going to be great. Like I said, we have a great audience, great guests, everything fine. And if y'all want to listen to a rebroadcast of this show, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, you can listen to this show and other great shows anytime you want. For example, tomorrow, uh, the Donaldson Piles will be on. Uh, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Central Time, and repeat at 3 to 4 p.m. Central Time. Uh, so, bachelornews.airtime.pro, here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And we're going to go ahead and finish up uh, with uh, Coco's uh, uh, Coco's uh, report, and then we're going to move on to the 4th of July. Okay, Coco, go ahead. Right. So there is a sister building called Chaplain East, um, Cowards East. Um, they are sister buildings. There was a crack found in one of the sister buildings, but apparently it was due to um, the, uh, the, the tumble of the sister building of Chaplain Towers North, where I used to live. Um, and what's interesting about this was in 2018, there was an assessment of $12 million for fixing the water pumps, uh, which I think is like, you know, 2018 to right 2021. And supposedly they were supposed to actually finish this, uh, start um, within a couple weeks, but obviously they are not because the building is completely collapsed. And, what what's so crazy was I was reading about this. He was a he's a baseball player. Um, he's a college baseball player, and so his family lives there. And um, at first, when he when he I mean they survived, which is like amazing how they survived. But um, at first, they thought it was like uh, a not a tornado, a hurricane, because Miami is filled with them. It's so it's so normal, but. They actually, when the tumble was starting to happen, they actually went on their balcony to see what was going on because they had no idea. And then mm-hmm. they realized they had fallen like three or four stories down, which oh. is like so scary. And the saddest one, the saddest story before I go, I'm, I'm going to say it because, man, like I'm going to tear up, but I swear to God, it, it's so different when it's like a place that like you grew up in and a place that like you're so familiar with that's like completely gone now. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a man, um, his wife and his stepson, and they all, they all died. Um, but what's even like sadder is the stepson was a paraplegic. Mm-hmm. So there was no way of him getting out. And so the family just stayed there together and like, they all died together. It's like, it's so, oh. so sad. It's so sad. Oh. And then the way they found out was because. The boy's father, not his stepfather, the boy's father um, confirmed it. And it was just like, it was, it was just like, it's, it's just everyone, like everyone lost their lives from everyone who's like 40 
25 to like 75 years old and there's like there's i i misspoke there's not two there's about 152 missing people still and um you know 152 is a lot of people that are uncounted Mm -hmm. for so um that's that's just like it's it's super sad um it's sadder when you know someone because like i i i don't know i mean the woman that i know her name is Vera. Goldberg, um, and she was like my my grandma's really good friend. Aww. She was a hundred and one, so um, she still uh, her daughter still doesn't know anything. So mm-hmm. it's presumed that obviously she perished, and mm-hmm. um, you know it, I, I absolutely believe they should sue the crap out of out of, out of the association, a hundred percent. Um, the fact that yeah. they knew they knew how bad it was, like you know how bad your building is and how structurally like unsafe it is, mm-hmm. um, and you know you have an assessment for twelve million dollars, but you wait like three and a half, four years, almost four years to fix the problem, and then it's only collapses. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something to it. So um, I don't know. It just it's just really sad because I ha- like I said I have nothing but uh, really awesome memories of that place. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I grew up from like, I, I, I would visit from like, literally since I was like, since I was born all the way till I was like 15. So I've had like mm-hmm. 15 years of like really good memories of that place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, really, uh, thank you very much for those insights. And, uh, all right. Uh, so basically what I ask folks to do is, you know, come up with some movies uh, you know, what we'd like to see in the 4th of July and kind of, you know, celebrate the 4th of July through these movies. Can I go first? And, yes, you can go first. <laughs> okay, so this is not, like, really a patriotic movie whatsoever, but it's called Uncle Sam. And um, anybody who's a horror movie fanatic knows this movie, or at least I hope they do. Basically, it's about – takes place on the 4th of July, so technically it's 4th of July appropriate, Tom. And um, okay. he comes. He comes back, and he finds out that his wife is having an affair while he was off fighting war. And he just goes this this psychotic episode where he thinks like he's an actual like he thinks he's Uncle Sam, and he starts like murdering people on the Fourth of July. I don't know. I just thought of it. I was like, that's a movie well, I want actually, to watch yeah. on the Fourth of July. Well, yeah, actually, interesting enough, I was looking at that. You know. Really. Yeah, I mean, seriously, because seriously, because yeah, I mean, because there's like a, it's a horror flick, uh, he, and if I'm not mistaken, yeah. uh, he also is killed in combat, so he rises on the grave for the right. first July, and he kills yes, the unpatriotic citizens because a group of teens burn an American flag over the burial site. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, and that's so, right. Okay, Tom, it's been years since I've seen that movie, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, right. and so basically, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm I, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, wow, there, there's a great Fourth of July movie. And it is. So, but I, can, I, I, I think it but is. then again, I figured that the horror expert on this network would be the one to bring it uh-huh. up, and she did. I knew she was going to do that. Yeah, so, I did. Yeah, she did. Yeah. So I did not disappoint. That's good. That you did not disappoint. So. Um, uh, you know, I got so many movies here that I got listed, uh, but there are two movies in particular I'll just start off with. Uh, one is All The right. Longest Day. One is The Longest Day. Now, for those Ooh. people, this is like in the, the, the 1960s. It's one of those. 
movie. Yeah, it's one of those movies where you have every oh, super. That. Yeah, every superstar in the movie movie things was invited, and it's usually they, what they call the in those days a Hollywood spectacular. Yeah, Cecil D. DeMille only. Yeah, it, only it's not Cecil D. DeMille film, but you know you get the point. But you know, yeah. somehow another, they all seem to work. It's one of those movies where you see whoever picked the you know, the actors to paint the characters picked the right actors, and they all you know they all fit in beautifully. It's one of those things. It's just like you know, you it just seemed like boy, you picked the right. And it's more of I call it a micro look at long at D Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you, you got the famous people, then you got the people on the ground, but it's more of a micro. Uh, as contrast to, let's say, Saving Private Ryan, where the first 20 minutes are gut-wrenching. Have you ever seen the first 20 yeah. minutes of Private Ryan? I know. I mean, it, and it's like, it's like them getting off the boat and what actually happens when they get off the boat. And, mm-hmm. they, uh, and, and so they, you know, in a way I kind of look at that, that you, know, you know, that's what I call the grunt version of the longest day, and mm-hmm. uh, the uh, and also the campaign in the West, you know, in France mm-hmm. in the uh, you know, opening days. Whereas the longest day, you kind of like the overview, but still, you know, they're both really excellent films, and it kind of reminds folks of a previous generation what they were willing to sacrifice. I mean, this was like Dad's generation. You know, well, he, can he I make survived. A point about that? Can I? Because I Go think ahead. that yes. can interject for a second. I think that's yeah. an excellent suggestion because <laughs> I have to give a little prop here because the screenplay was adapted by Joel Coward. And of course that is my beloved, like I'm a theater person. I come from the theater. Okay. Of a playwright first before a screenwriter. And so we're talking, you know, we're like, these are the people that have the chops in the business. Okay. So we're yeah. talking the, and, and this is like when you hear people say, Oh, Back in the day, you know, actors, they had a face, you know, and these actors did have, they gave good face, you know. So we're talking about the great faces of, you know, Robert Mitchum, you know, Sean Connery, you know, Richard Burton, Henry Fonda, John Wayne, Eddie Albert, Paul Anka, Red Buttons, you know, Robert, you know, these are people that, you know, when the camera went on their face, you know, they just didn't tell a story in a minute or a moment. Their lifetime was reflected on one shot. Yeah. And everybody could relate. So, yes, yeah. I mean, this is a, an ideal mo- yeah. movie. I love this movie. Yeah, oh. and I tell you, there's one scene in the movie that really, I mean, that I always remember. is There's a scene where, you know, because like I say, when they did the, the jump, you know, they, you know, they did the aerial jump, they all got lost. I mean, there, I mean yeah. a lot of these troops got lost, and they didn't know which. And so they kind of had to join up with each other to, before they moved to their objectives. And there's this one scene. I can't remember if it was Fabian or who was. You know, and, and so this guy, so he's, and he's lost. He joins up with this crew, and they're walking like there is this wall. And, he's, and they're walking on one side, and there's a group of people walking the other side. And, of course, mm-hmm. neither Neither one of these people, these groups look at the other side, look at the yeah. other person. They just keep walking. And suddenly the guy at the end looks at it and says, oh, my God, we just walked past a bunch of Germans. Right. And he turned around and he turned around and looked and everybody else was moving on. It, it, right. and again, it's like a confusion of war. And, of course, you mentioned Henry Fonda. He does a mm-hmm. great Theodore Roosevelt oh. Jr. Oh. A great. 
because you know, because okay. if I remember, he had a severe case of arthritis, and he basically mm-hmm. was had to, and he had to basically talk his way into, you know, telling everybody, hey, "Don't worry about it. I can make the invasion. You know, I can do this." And uh, and of course, the thing is, he has to wear, you know, he, normally he would use a walking cane, and mm-hmm. tell anybody, but he would basically put it away when anybody came by because I know had yeah had he. Had anybody known that, he wouldn't be on that. He would not be there with his troops. I know. So, yeah, but, you know, like you say, I mean, it's a interesting. And I just think sometimes, because like I say, my dad was part of that generation. And you're talking mm-hmm. about dad, you're talking about mother. They survived the Great Depression. And then they survived World War II. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. And, I, and like my wife, my mother's first husband was killed oh. in a training act in World War II. Oh. oh, your mother? Yeah, my mother's first husband. Yeah. Oh wow! Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah she, yeah, he, uh, he died in a training exercise, you know, in 1942, oh, wow. and then. Oh wow. And then my dad was in the navy, and and yeah, you, know, you want to talk about a, a story? Yeah, you know, he was he got married before he left, and then he found out that when he you know. Why he's in the Navy serving his country, his uh, first wife decided to divorce him and went with somebody else. <laughs> so, wow. But that happens enough. quite a bit, though. Yeah. It did. I feel like that yeah. happens quite a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Then I had an uncle, Uncle Russell. It was a crazy guy. I mean, Russell was one of my crazy – he's one of these you – know, you know, this guy was one of these fun-loving guys, uh, sometimes too fun-loving. And <laughs> – and he served in Western Europe. I mean, he basically, you know, was part of that. You know, moved on to the per, you know, moved on to the beaches and on to uh, Berlin. I won't say on to Berlin, but on to Germany. So, yeah. So hold on, that. So hold on, We're going to come right back. This is Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files and the Bastion News Radio Network. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse. Go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late-night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files. Don't forget, you can listen to this show and other members of our podcast on the Bastion News on Airtime.pro. 
StreamYard, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, or TuneIn.com. Uh, we're there as well. Uh, so, and, and just to kind of remind everybody, the Bachelor News Radio Show with your host, L.A. Bachelor, uh, talks about politics, policing, injustice, inequality, religion, and sports that affect black, brown, and poor people negatively. Listen, every Monday and Thursday on this network from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can listen to the podcast at any time at Pro. And we will also, on this particular network, I'll follow by you and the law, in which the Chief Humphrey and Chief Green talks about law enforcement uh, from a perspective of your rights, as well as from the perspective of people of color and serving those people of color. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're now back here on the Donaldson Files with uh, Lauren Byers and Coco Konsky. All right, Lauren, do you have anything? A movie that I do, obviously. but I'm not going Go to give you a film to recommend. I'm going to give you a film that I would suggest you do not watch on July the 4th that traditionally oh. everybody watches. How's that? Okay. The Die Hard? Uh. <laughs> okay, ready? Okay. Ready. Yes. I suggest that this year... We try to be a little different and evolve as Americans and not watch Independence Day was released on July the 2nd, 1996, which is but starring Bill Pullman, Phil Smith, Jeff Hoogland, Mary McDonald, Randy Quaid, and so forth and so on. This is about, of course, Americans enjoying July the 4th, and then, of course, they're invaded by aliens. And then they all band together, and they defeat the aliens. Okay, now why am I saying this? Because we are going to be, we're going to think that that's an old trope, okay? And we understand that now, right? Because we don't want to believe that we're being invaded by everybody. We are not going to say we're being invaded by other countries, we're being mm-hmm. invaded by other planets, we're being invaded by other species constantly. We don't have to be on the defensive. So this idea that aliens are out to get us is really um, a very ignorant mindset, okay? And yes, it's a nice idea and it makes good movies and it sells a lot of movies, or it did, okay? But also... Um, it might be a nice idea to think in in a more evolved state. So I, what I, I'm, I'm proposing this question to the both of you, the person on the right, which is Tom, and the person on the left, yeah. which is Coco. What do you think? Since I'm the center person here, I, 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 I come to believe that I am, I am like the center person in the group. Well. Uh, okay, I, I, I'll, I'll let you go first. Coco. Okay, Coco uh, is uh, basically having some phone I just got a text that's having some phone issues. Hopefully she can go back on. But, yeah, I, I, let me put this. Actually, I had that on my list of movies to watch just simply because it's a fun movie to watch. I knew it. I mean, I, I, do, I mean it's a fun movie to watch, but... Uh, uh, well, yeah. Here's the thing. Let me throw it back to you this way: If an alien civilization decide to invade, I mean, come visit us, 
would they necessarily I mean, are we going to assume that they would necessarily be friendly or not? I mean, we're making a lot of assumptions here in evolution. I, I don't know. I mean, if you put it this way, when you have a an advanced culture visiting a less than advanced culture, you know, what normally happens? If you look at our own history, what normally happens? Uh, so it's, it, but I, I see your point. I see your point. Well, uh, is, wait, wait, let me ask you. Can I ask you this question? This is this sure. is this is this is definitely. Um, we're, now we're going to go into the area of philosophy for a second. If we're going to talk, yeah. you, since you mentioned advanced, if you have an advanced yeah. culture, okay, do you believe an advanced culture would deal with destruction? I, you know, it's a good question. I, you know, I, you know, I think uh, I, I, I'll may put it this way: if you look at our own particular history on this planet, but we aren't. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I mean, that's the only example I can sit back and say based on. But on the I other know. side of the equation, uh, on the other side of the equation, I can't tell you what the evolution of what those other creatures or the beings would be, other than if they are at that point where they're visiting us, they're certainly advanced. Now they, okay. But and maybe here's the thought. I mean, here's the thought. You know what I re, I'm reminded of? The Twilight Zone. There is a uh, there was a one of their episodes dealt with these group of aliens come down, mm-hmm. and and they basically give us all the things or tricks that they need. I mean, everything. They basically give us advancements. You know, we're you know we're planting food or it's like we're unlimited supply of food because we can grow this food. They give us all this technology. And and during this, there is a, the book, the intelligent people are trying to translate. It's called how, it's how to serve mankind. Mm-hmm. How to, and at the very end, when one of the intelligence is getting ready to go on the spaceship, uh, just as he's going on, that's when he's told by his intelligent people how to serve mankind is a cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Very funny. And see, I thought you were going to finally come up with something that was going to. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that was, yeah, that's the episode. I mean, they were feeding us as much as they could feed us. (laughs) Because. But that's the mindset. Do you see what you just said? They're feeding us, feeding us. yeah, it's, it's a mindset. It's a mindset. But, you know, well, let me ask you, uh, I guess it's an interesting comment to say, question to come into play and say, yeah, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a kind of, a, you, know, you know, how do you, you know, an evolution, because it is a good question, you know, you know what would a an alien civilization do once they have contact with us? I just, you know, would it, is, you know what? I, you know, you brought actually. You, you really got me thinking because what you just said. And if, if an advanced, if, if if an advanced civilization came here, and you know what, you made it very very clear, because that's the way everybody really should be thinking about this. If an advanced civilization came to Earth, that's how we need to be thinking about this, because we don't know because we're not advanced. And we should be looking at ourselves. How do we handle things? We handle things with war. We handle things with death. We, this is how we handle things. So we yeah. don't uh, know. Coco. But, yeah, Coco. 
Yes. Yeah, uh, I, uh, we lost you for a second, but you have been found. Yeah, I have been found. But we're talking Independence Day. I don't know if you caught uh, how much of it. All you right. Caught. And um, so basically, well, I heard the part about aliens. So yeah, I get I the question. Yeah, now um, the question. Yeah, the the question I think uh, Lawrence bring us in is uh, how should we re- you know should we be looking at Independence Day not so much from our perspective. From a different perspective, mm-hmm. in the sense that what you know, you know, guess what an alien uh, a species would be a more advanced I mean, species, how they would react, I, and how I we totally, should react. Back. I, I totally believe that. Um, obviously, there's other life forms out there. I mean, if you think about it, there they did this this study. I, 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 I a friend of mine brought this to my attention about you know how much space we've explored, and it, as well as like the ocean. It's like maybe 5% that we have explored um, of the sea because we don't know, like, how deep the sea goes. We don't know how, like, I mean, obviously we know how long it is, but there's obviously, I believe, life in um, other life forms that are living. Like, if there's water, there was some life life form um, in that time, for sure. I totally believe that. I don't, I guess I'm not going to dispute that at all. I mean, I think, and it's like they say, we're, when you look at our, you know, I, I tell you what I, I'm always thinking when I think of the knowledge of what we have uh, mm-hmm. is I kind of think of there's the, there's a biblical phrase that Paul uses in Corinthians. And there's a phrase that he uses. He says, you know, what we know now, we know dimly. You know, when we come face to face with God, we'll know fully. But I think it's like what we know now, when I use that word dimly, I, I'm going to take it to a secular side. Is what we know now is virtually limited. I mean, mm-hmm. we're just like dipping our toes in the knowledge aspect of space, as an example. And you bring up a good point, Coco. We still don't know the full extent of our own planet. Oh no! Right? Like the ocean, and the ocean, mm-hmm. and, and looking at space, it's like, you know, it's, you know, we're just like, you know, we're like babes. Still, we're like, it's like, I, that's what I just say. We're like two-year-olds. Just learning how to talk. That's how we are. Exactly. That's how I view. That's how I view we are. You and know what's yeah. really frustrating? If I can just interject, yeah. you know what's really frustrating yeah. is how long we allow ourselves as a society to dwell in a certain mindset. We like, for instance, like you know, we've had discussions on this program in the last two years about mental health. We have allowed our society to think poorly of people discussing mental health issues. We allow that. That's it. I think that's that's changing completely. I think that's that's changing a bit because, I mean. How long did that take, though? How long did that take, Coco? Right. Uh, No, trust me, you're talking to someone with it. I'm told this. So I I I understand, you know. I know, but how long? I I, I feel like because I live where I live. I live in L.A., and it's very, we're a very open minded people and like we talk about these things where therapy is like a total normal thing and like anybody who thinks therapy is like weird or like you know not not working like okay if we're going to talk about this let's talk about Britney Spears right now and how horrifying it must be to be her right now um you know, I mean, I, I, Tom, I don't know if you listened to her tape, but when I listened to it, I totally resonated yeah. with everything she said. You know, I mean, her conservatorship 
it's not even yeah. conservatorship. You know, I know people who've been in these type of con- conservatorships or whatever you call them. Um, not to the extent she's in. I mean, she's not a she's not allowed to vote. She is yeah. forced. She's not allowed yeah, to have her own legal counsel. Uh, I, yeah, I want to talk on, about yeah. this. So yeah. I know, I do, but I want you I want you to hold on to because we've got to take a quick break, right. and then we'll be right back. Right. And then we're going to come right back to that. This is Tom Donaldson here on yeah. the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me. I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can listen to this podcast and other podcasts on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. That, the Bachelor News Airtime, you know, .airtime.pro. You can come on and listen to our podcast at separate times. And don't forget, you can also listen to this show uh, if you got iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, or TuneIn.com. We're there as well. We're everywhere, ladies and gentlemen, listening to the Bachelor News Radio Network. And we'll continue with the uh, follow-up on Britney Spear. I didn't, like I said, I didn't mean to cut you off, but we had the break, but we'll now you know, go I'll go right into it, Coco. Right. So I've been following the whole Free Britney movement for, like, a really long time, like, I would say, like, two years. And, um, and even then, I didn't know the extent that she's under. I mean, this, this is a total violation of her civil rights, if you ask me. I mean, mm-hmm. by the way, her net worth, before the conservation ship was five hundred sixty million dollars. Her net worth now is about sixty. <gasps> so these people have stolen, stolen millions and millions. I mean, just to get into the details of this, um, she had like a mental health breakdown, uh, two thousand seven. So she was in this conservation ship for nearly you know fifteen years, mm-hmm. and during those time, it 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 it, it was. I mean. It's just horrifying. It's horrifying. Um, she's not allowed to vote. She has to have an IUD. She had an IUD implanted in her that she cannot take out to have kids. That is part of the conservation ship. Um, oh she can't see her children. You know, <gasps> she follows this. She, 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 uh, yeah. Oh, she hasn't seen her kids in like probably like she sees them maybe like a couple times a year because of the conservation ship. This is everything she's spoken out in her interview um, in the court. There was a court proceeding, there was, and she's not allowed to hire her own legal team. Her legal team has been hired by her conservation, which is under her father, Jamie. She's not allowed to have her who, who she chooses as a therapist, um, and the therapist that she was seeing had doped her up on lithium. Oh. She had to work 12 hours a day, six days a week, for 15 years, 
Um, doesn't matter. She got sick. There was a there was a time in a concert, and there's actual video footage. And you know, and in that video, she had a fever of 102, and they still made her perform. She. This is a woman who's made hundreds of millions of dollars. Who just it just it just gone. She's now worth 60, like I said. Um, her father gets paid $18,000 a month for oh um, to run her conservatorship. Do you know how much she makes per month and how much she's allowed to have per month? And she can't even spend her own money. Um, no, she makes 16000 $16, a month. That's oh my it. God. Hmm. I'm shocked about this. That's it. Yeah. She yeah. is not allowed to – she's not allowed – She's a, she cannot be alone in her dressing room to change. She has to change in front of people. Uh, it, it, she she can't she can't, she she's only allowed to see her boyfriend when the conservation is permitted, and he is not allowed to drive. She's not allowed to drive anywhere. Um, it, it's it's really sickening. It really is. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to her testimony, like people were saying, oh, she sounds rambling. It's like yeah, she's rambling. She's been through 15 years of abuse under her her father, and she she basically said she wants to sue her whole family. She said she wants to sue her whole entire family because of this. She's like, you know, I, I want the right to choose my attorney. I want the right to choose my therapist. And the worst part was, I think one of the worst parts ever, because I know what this feels like, um, is she would ha- she couldn't have a therapist come to her home. She would have to go to this place in Westlake, um, which is an area in, in Los Angeles, and she would have to be photographed with paparazzi. She cannot. She could not have a therapist come to her home. They would make her go out to see a therapist. I mean, and it was like for 15 years. And then if you listen to her testimony, guys, it is like, like I cried because like I can't imagine being worked like that. I mean, and she made a point. She goes, you know, if I'm so mentally incompetent, how have I been working for 15 years, paying people that I don't even know who works for me? Of course. You know, I have a yeah. job. You know, like you know, I work, and I can't even. She can't spend her money without uh, authorization. It's like the um, Victorian times when they used to put women away oh, in yeah. those psychiatric wards, right? Like that. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's just it's so sad. And like real quick, guys, real quick, you know, um, you know, her whole fortune is controlled by the father, who has legal power to negotiate business opportunities. She's, she, she's never been allowed to use her own social media. Um, oh, I get rid of him know. so fast. I would do oh him for everything. I, yeah. She says she wants to see her family, you know. Um, she definitely does. And hopefully with this new judge, she got a new judge of the whole point of this, 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 this uh, court hearing. And hopefully the judge will actually let her pick her lawyer and her attorney you know, um, and she said she didn't know that she could sue the conservatorship because no, because these people obviously are working for her father. They're not working mm-hmm. for her. And she's paying them millions and millions of dollars a year while she walks away with maybe 18000 a month. Now that sounds like a lot to normal people, yeah. but for someone who's made $560 million, that's nothing. Yeah. That's maybe $100 a month for us, maybe. I know. Yeah, no, that's it's ridiculous. Absolutely. I mean, well, let me ask this question from both of you. I mean, because I mean, okay, you, uh, how does this happen? I mean, legally speaking, when you have an adult, I mean, I well, and here's the thing. Has, here's here's the thing. Uh, here's the thing, Tom. I found really interesting. 
it never declared her insane in the court. And it's, it's you know, she's, she's not allowed to talk about it, but she hinted that there was nothing in the court when they had this in 2007 that declared her mentally incompetent. Mm. Nothing mm-hmm. of that sort. Um, she also made about $138 million performing in Vegas. Um, she, this, is a quote, this is a quote that she said from her. She goes, I shouldn't be in a conservatorship if I can work and provide money and work for myself and pay other people, which is, like, absolutely yeah. true. Absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, I mean this, 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 this is a sad – this is really this is really heartbreaking what I'm about to read. This is what she yeah, wrote. Go she goes, I was, told, mm-hmm. I, I was told right now in the conservatorship I'm not able to get married or have a baby. I have an IUD inside of myself right now, so I don't get pregnant. I wanted to take the IUD out so I could start trying to have another baby, but the so-called team won't let me go to the doctor and take it out because they don't want me to have children. Oh, my God. And you know why? It's because, then, you know, she's going to have to pay child support or whatever, and that means less money for the family and the father. I was just like, when I read that, I got, like, my blood boiled, man. I mean, the fact so that, basically, like, they, they're she's, forcing she's, she's her. She's a property. She's property. Oh, for sure. And, yeah, no, no, I was just saying, because it's just, I'm trying to put my mind around it because I've been, you know, I've been in the, in the pharmacy, you know, I was in, you know, we did, I did produce antidepressant drugs and we did, and some of the drugs we had could have been also used for OCD and other conditions. And I'm like, you know, having mental illness is so you, yeah. you can get treated and get treated and get back to a normal life. Mm-hmm. And obviously Absolutely. she got back to a normal life if she's working. I'm yeah. just trying to. I'm just. I'm trying to figure out how, in this day and age, such a thing could possibly have happened to have this much control over somebody. And worst part about it, I mean, she can sit back and say, "Hey, I'm worth a half." This is what this is. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. This is what I You're think. Worth a half I think they try dollars? to make her look insane. Yeah. Yeah. I well, think they try to make yeah, her look we, insane to get what they wanted, yeah. and it worked for yeah. a while. Um, See, this is what happens you know, when she, there's she, money and power. This is what happens. I mean, I grew up with this, and 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 this I is what happens. Yeah. I mean, and the worst part, the saddest yeah. part is she can't even see her friends. She when she she used to attend AA meetings um, for her for her for her own sanity, and she has friends in those AA meetings, and they are not allowed to visit her. She is not allowed to see her friends for fifteen years. Mm-hmm. It's it's insanity to me. It's insanity to me. In yeah. fact, like. There, you know, there, she's not allowed to marry. She's not allowed to vote. She has to change in front of other people. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's as if, like, you know, and she, she, in her statement, she goes, I lied, you know, when I said I was fine and I was happy all those years ago. She goes, I'm severely depressed. I cry all the time. You know, I just want to have my life back. Okay, so can we put this in its proper perspective? Basically, I'm not going to say basically. I'm not going to simplify this. But this yeah, is no. what you call every woman or man, okay, on abusive relationship. This is an abusive relationship. This is emotional. This could be physical. This is financial. This could be sexual. This is, this is what it is. This is even when you can't have a dog. You can't have a pet because they take control of your pet, mm-hmm. okay? So we've all witnessed this in some aspects of our lives or we know somebody. This is what this is. 
Okay, hers is a little bit different because she's a public figure and she is has a talent where she's generating a lot of money and 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 and, and there is a lot of money. Okay, and the courts got involved. Okay, but ultimately, when you bring it down, like you know, as we say in America, the meat and potatoes of it all, it's it's an abusive relationship that involves power, and that's what it is. And if even if you're a person who is living in an apartment somewhere in Newark, New Jersey, and and you are, are not even able to afford your rent, you are still dealing in, in an abusive relationship where somebody is controlling you and even telling you what you're allowed to eat or not eat, or when you could take a shower or not take a shower. And I'm not talking oh, about gender this, here. This, this, yeah, I know. I, but also, real quick, I mean, during 2018, she was doing a show. And she didn't want to do the show. She she was like, you know, I need I need I need a break. And the concert, she was like, oh yeah, no problem. Well, two days later, two days later, she went to stay with her therapist. Um, she goes, after I said no to Vegas, my therapist sat me down in her room and said he had a million phone calls about how I was not cooperating in rehearsals and that I haven't been taking my medication. All of this was false. He immediately the next day put me on lithium out of nowhere. Yeah. Lithium is no well, joke. I'll, I have been on lithium. I, I was going to say, lithium is, is no not joke. a drug. Yeah, that's not a drug that you use indiscriminately in any circumstances. So. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think, I think, I, think I, I don't believe in conspiracies, Tom. I'm not a conspiracy person, but I'm telling you, there is a conspiracy to take over her money by her victim. No, I know. You know and then two days of uh, yesterday, oh, this is even made me go even crazier really quick before we finish up. Her sister, her sister, Jamie Lynn Spears, posted a video about, you know, well, I've always been Team Britney and this, blah, blah, blah. I saw a picture of that. But, th- so, but then she starts spouting, spouting these things about her as if she's crazy. Like, like literally, these, these, this, is, this is what you say when you think a person is crazy. She goes, I don't care if she wants to go to space and have a million children. I will support her. And it was just like, there was no emotion. It was just like, you know, I mean, her sister lives in a very nice and beautiful mansion in Louisiana. And I know for a fact she didn't make that much money with Zoe 101 <laughs> to afford yeah. that. So every everyone in that family is living off Britney, and it's really disgusting. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. All right, I'll tell you what, we got about four or five minutes left. And uh, so first of all, I'm going to say, uh, Lauren, what are you going to do to support in Ireland? Well, well, there is no. Well, I'm not going to do anything because there is no There's no celebrating, and I'm like the only American where I'm living. Literally, when I go shopping, people say, "Oh, who's our favorite American?" The only American where I live. So, um, I'm very surprised. I got your email, and you said we're going to be we're going to be um, discussing July the fourth, and I was like, "Oh, Tom, he must be confused." <laughs> July is like another month away, and I realized, oh no. my God, no, it's now. No. So um, no, I, I'm gonna now that I'm aware, I'm gonna do something special. I don't know. I'll do something though. I'll find something yeah. nice to do. Yeah. No. It, yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what? Are you outside, Coco? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's why. That's why I thought I heard something outside. Okay. All right. So, oh, so Coco, what do you? Yeah. So, Coco, what, what are you what doing I... for the? Yeah. What are you, Steve, doing for the park? 
nothing. <laughs> I don't really celebrate holidays like that. Um, I, you know, I usually would go to my parents for their annual um, holiday party, but there's no way in hell I'm going to Vegas when it's 120 degrees. So, um, unfortunately, I might miss that. But um, now I'm just going to probably grill some uh, good burgers, yeah. whatever, and uh, just, I don't know, just chill out. All right, so well, basically, that's, I have that's my yeah, plan. Like I said, because like, like my oldest daughter is going to be joining us for, like, uh, she's taking a three-week sabbatical from her teaching. Well, yeah, from teaching, and so she'll be, uh, yeah, so she'll be joining us for about three weeks. So I don't know. We may, like I say, you know, there's a possibility of going to a baseball game because we have a local minor league team for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, oh, that's so, right. Yeah, that. Or we might just drive, a dead, drive down to Quad City, Iowa, where the uh, minor, a minor league team for the Kansas City Royals play. So who knows? I mean, but we'll do something. Something special, and who knows? Uh, we'll probably watch uh, the longest day and and not watch Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tom. I love you for saying that. I do. Aw. Well, like, I mean, like I said, I, it, to me, I always look at those as one. It's not one of those movies that I. It's more of a fun movie. It's kind of like you know watching Die Hard, the original, on Christmas Day, because we all know Die Hard is the Christmas movie. Yes, we do. I know that. <laughs> and then, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, well, my youngest daughter and I read that. that hard. Well, I'll tell you what, my daughter and I, my youngest and I, because I used to, you know, you know, actually this year she might actually come visit us, but uh, every Christmas Eve we would see Die Hard together. That was like our Christmas Eve. Uh, that's nice. Yeah, so that was. Uh, yeah, interesting. So because we all know, you always celebrate Christmas with Bruce Willis yeah. uh, and the Nakataki Building, beating up on Hans Gruber. <laughs> because it's so much. Because it's so much in the Christmas spirit. Plus, you want to your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. All right, I'll tell you what, we've got a couple minutes left, so uh, before we get to, so we got to, so I want to get to tomorrow night's show. Yeah. What is she doing? What are you doing, Coco? Where are you? Where are you? I'm going to make, I'm going to write a book and say, where in the world is Coco? I know, where in the, yeah, like you say, yeah, she, where in the world is Coco? So I'll tell you what, uh, well, Coco, I'm going to go ahead, it's that time of the evening to say goodnight. Have everybody right, have a happy Fourth of July, and uh, tomorrow yeah, night's show please. we're going to do some more of the Fourth of July special, and and thank you, Lauren, for joining us, and please uh, enjoy your Fourth in Ireland um, by yourself, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and this is Tom Donaldson here in the Donaldson Files saying good night, and join us tomorrow on this network.
Members of the jury, I will now read the verdicts as they will appear in the permanent records of the 4th Judicial District. State of Minnesota, County of Hennepin, District Court, 4th Judicial District. State of Minnesota Plaintiff versus Derek Michael Chauvin, Defendant. Verdict, Count 1. Court File Number 27, CR 20-12646. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to Count 1, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.44 p.m. Signed, Juror Four-Person, Juror Number 19. Same caption, verdict count two. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count two, third-degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Signed by Jury Four-Person, Juror Number 19. Same caption, verdict count three. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count three, second-degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Hey, we want to welcome everyone to <clears throat> You and the Law podcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we've got a, another great uh topic that we're going to be talking about. Um, uh, as everyone knows, the uh, verdict in the George Floyd uh, case uh, was handed down to Derek Chauvin last week. So uh, me and my co-host, uh, Chief Humphrey, will be talking about uh, what happens after the Chauvin verdict. So Keith, man, we, we've got another uh, exciting uh, topic to talk about, and hopefully our, you know, those listening to the show will definitely uh, come on and share their thoughts or, or their comments about um, how the uh, with Chauvin getting the 22 years, 22 and a half years. Hey man, I, I'm gonna tell you this. <laughs> you, you haven't earned the right to tell me about my personal. I told you that. So it's swag. Mr. Swag, he swag, her swag, whatever, but oh, I'm just joking, man. How you doing, bro? How you doing, bro? Man, I'm doing good, man. Well, you know, I, I you know, you, you can't forget about the swag. So, you know, I, I just, you know, it's, we all know you got the swag. So, so hey, man, you know. Hey, you, you, you just got the swag. <laughs> yeah, so, so Keith, we got to tell you that, I will say this, you know, doesn't it kind of seem like there, there's been kind of a sigh of relief or temporary relief with, with the birth? Uh, and I'm really pleased with the. Of uh, of uh, you know vandalism or the, the lack of vandalism. Well, you know, Keith. Uh, you know, I will say this. I think one of the things that so many people have. Um, you know, ask this question, 
you know, the judge could have given, uh, uh, you know, the maximum that the prosecutors were seeking, which was 30 years, and the judge ended up uh, handing down, you know, 22, 22 and a half years. And so that is leaving a lot of uh, questions as to why the judge didn't uh, seek the maximum uh Sentence that the prosecutors were were seeking in this case, uh, and so it's it's left people asking questions: Was there justice really served? Uh, uh, and you've got some who are saying that you know justice was served, uh, and you've got some who are saying that you know uh, Chauvin is, is still innocent, even though he was found guilty by uh by a jury so <clears throat> that is uh there are so many again so many questions but you know obviously uh, he is still facing federal charges and the other three officers are still awaiting state charges as well as federal charges as well so even though he got the 22 and a half years um on state charges, he is still facing uh, federal charges related to uh, to civil rights violations. So, you know, he's most likely will will definitely receive some additional sentencing related to to the federal charges. Um, and one of the things that that really struck me, uh, Keith, by this uh, when the judge handed down. Uh, before the judge handed down the verdict, you know, you had family members of George Floyd who, who addressed the courts, and for the first time, we uh, everyone heard Shoma's mother speak, and it was it was really surprising that, you know, she um, the comments that she made that she called her son honorable. Uh, and, and, and selfish, uh, or he wasn't selfish, but she she also stated that um, uh, her son, she believed that he was still innocent. So, uh, you know, and she you know said that there was she had received so many letters uh, from around the, the country that people felt that uh, uh, he was he was innocent. Um, and so it's really hard to understand how so many people feel that this officer, this former officer, uh, is not guilty of the charges that he was convicted on. And so even, you know, uh, with his mother, uh, and I don't believe, Keith, that she ever really even, um, address the George Floyd family uh, in in any manner to say, you know, uh, that she was felt any kind of remorse for uh, George Floyd or for the George Floyd family. So, um, again, this this just goes to another uh, conversation about uh, so many people who feel that officers – that there's this 
this attitude that officers are shouldn't be charged or convicted of crimes when it comes to violating uh, citizens' rights. So, again, this is something that, you know, uh, you know, additionally, those three officers are facing charges, and Dan Chauvin is facing, you know, uh, the federal charges. So, Keith, this is going to uh, definitely spark a lot of conversations uh, with a lot of people about uh, why the judge didn't provide, you know, didn't sentence Chauvin to the maximum of 30 years. Well, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, 30 years, 40 years, uh, you have a, uh, you know, a life of loss. Uh, a nation mourned. The nation was rocked. And so, you know, 30, 40, you know, I mean, what, what's, what's the perfect sentence? Uh, there's not going to be any perfect sentence. Uh, you have individuals Correct. that thought it was enough. You had those individuals that thought it was not enough. You had those individuals that thought you shouldn't have gotten anything. So you're never going to please anyone. Um, I will tell you that um, I do think the mother, his mother, should have acknowledged the family. Should have acknowledged the family. Uh, yes. If nothing yes. else, if nothing, if nothing else, I'm hate that you having to go through this. Uh, I pray for you and your family. Uh, no one should have to go through that. That's all she had to say. That's not saying her son did anything right or wrong. It's acknowledging the family uh, uh, experienced the tragedy. Yeah. And, again, I just think it was really insensitive of her, Keith. You know, she, as you mentioned, she didn't mention uh, George Floyd by name. She didn't mention his family. Uh, but another thing that kind of struck out to me, Keith, uh, right before we go to the, to the – we're coming up on the break, is that, you know, she mentioned that when you sentence my son, you will also be sentencing me. So right. it was just a real uh, strange, uh, odd comment that, for her to make. But, Keith, we're going to take this first break, and uh, when, once we come back, we're going to get back into the, the, the topic of the show, uh, what happens after the, the George, uh, what happens after the Chauvin uh, guilty verdict. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Actually, Mr. Chauvin, would you join Mr. Nelson at the lectern? Uh, Mr. Chauvin, th this is your opportunity, if you wish, to uh, give any input to the court. And so I turn it over to you and your attorney. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, at this time, due to some additional legal matters at hand, I'm not able to give a full formal statement at this time. Um, but very briefly, though, I uh, do want to give my condolences to the Floyd family. Um, there's going to be some other information in the future that would be of interest, and uh, I hope things will give you some some peace of mind. Thank you. And I'll note that I did read your comments in the pre-sentence investigation as well. Thanks, friend. Hey, we want to welcome everyone back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, you just listened to, uh, Keith, we just listened to an audio uh, clip of, of Chauvin uh, giving, uh, you know, addressing the courts and addressing the George Floyd family. 
what was really strange about that, Keith, was, uh, you know, the comment that he made that there was going to be some additional uh, information that may come forth. Um, so I, I don't know what additional information that could come forth that would uh, that the family would be looking forward to, but I just thought that was uh, just kind of a, you know, it's like his attorney didn't really prepare him. I know he couldn't say a whole lot, but uh, th that just kind of really stuck out to me that, you know, he made uh, that statement as if there's just something else that you guys just don't know, but it's it's definitely going to come out sooner than later. Well, I think, I think uh, benefit of the doubt, I think he's looking at appeals. Uh, I think being very careful what to say during the appeals, and I think also the upcoming um, uh, federal case. Now, on the appeals, of course, there'll be some additional information, and that may be what he's talking about, some additional information that they could not present during the criminal case, during the appeals case. I don't know, but I think there was, there was, there were several reasons that he did not, I think, that he, that he felt he couldn't say anything. But, you know, it still doesn't justify, um, doesn't justify the, you know, but, but he was on trial. It doesn't justify what he did. Uh, to, to put him in an in a position to be on trial. Yeah, uh, you know, even though you know every parent is is definitely going to, you know, stand up for their child, uh, whether you are you know young or old, uh, they're they're going to believe uh, they're going to believe in you and. His, his mother I, again. It just it just really stuck out to me that she the comments that she made in court towards the family, uh, you know, were yeah. It's almost kind of you, you wonder uh, what what was what was she really thinking? You know, she said, "Hey, he has a big heart." Well, the day that he that he murdered George Floyd, he didn't have a big heart that day. So I just think that was a, a, that her words are definitely going to come back uh, to, to, to uh, I hate to use the word haunt her, but definitely come back to, um, you know, people are going to pick her words apart because, you know, when she said, hey, my son has a big heart, well, that day, uh, June the 2nd of 2020, uh, uh, former officer Chauvin did not did not have a big heart uh, to save uh, George Floyd's life. Right, I think, uh, but you have to look at the fact too that is her child. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And that's what she felt she needed to say, whether it was right or wrong. You know, whether we appreciate it or not, that was that's her child. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, you know, so Keith, you know, one of the the things that uh, people have asked since this verdict, since he's given the 22, 22 and a half years, um, what has changed since June the 2nd of 2020 uh, leading up to uh, this, this verdict? I think that's a very 
First, I think that's a subjective question. Um, I think that if you ask, you're not going to get a unanimous response. Uh, For Mm -hmm. me, I think that it has caused police departments and um, some police departments to take a closer look at their leadership, to take a closer look at their training. Uh, I think their hiring processes, I think there's been a, 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 I think you have some departments that have actually um, um, got closer to the community, uh, that have really uh, uh, embraced reform. Um, But I do think there are those departments that don't think they're doing anything wrong. I mean, who's going to come in and tell me we haven't killed anybody? Uh, we haven't had any complaints, so I think it's a subjective. Uh, it's going to be subjective depending on who you who you talk to. And I think it's all based on which community you're at, uh, not just the community socioeconomic, but also the ethnic uh, different uh, ethnic groups. Uh, you know who you're talking to, where you, you know where they live, and what's their, what's their relationship or their experiences with law enforcement. So, you know, I, I know the things that we're doing. Uh, I know the things we've been doing. Uh, you're going to also find out uh, what police departments are really doing 21st century. But what I will tell you, Virgil, and, and to the listeners, I will tell you that uh, in knowing the chief of, of Minneapolis, that's not the expectations he had for his office. That's not the training that he had for his officers. That's not the training that he provided. You remember, he settled a lawsuit, a uh, discrimination lawsuit against that city. And so, you know, coming into that city as a chief, uh, he's put some, some things in place. If you listen to his testimony, it was very clear that that's not the police department, that's not the uh, environment or the culture that he expected from his police department. He didn't, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't defend it. Basically saying that's not the way they were trained. So I think you have a lot of chiefs that are uh, realizing that they had to make some changes. But I, I just still think that that response, that, uh, the response back is going to be somewhat uh, objective in, in certain, certain areas. It depends on who you're talking to, what region of the country also. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, Keith, you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the question was raised about. Uh, the, the the police chief, uh, you know, as we know, you know, he uh, sued this agency that he is now uh, the, the police chief uh, of. And but the question that was asked of me, you know, Chauvin had 18 disciplinary actions against him. Uh, so obviously the command staff, the chief, had to have known uh, about Chauvin prior to the incident with George Floyd. Uh, So the question was, why did it take so long uh, for anything to have been done uh, to remove Chauvin from the force? Uh, And you and I know, you know, there's barriers that are put in, put in place with, administrators to uh, to remove uh, bad officers, but in this situation, after 18 uh, disciplinary uh, infractions, um, why didn't this really rise to the level to get the chief's attention to uh, 
to, to take some steps to remove uh, Derek Chauvin uh, before he, uh, you know, in, ultimately end up killing somebody. So, uh, and I think that's a valid question uh, with the fact that, you know, uh, oftentimes people on the outside don't understand all of the things that's going on inside uh, with disciplinary action because a lot of those things cannot be shared with the public. But um, it, it, this is that, that raises some questions about why hadn't some other things taken place with, with Chauvin prior to George Floyd. Well, you know, Virgil, you got to understand, just because an officer is accused of alleged have done something, it doesn't mean those charges are going to be sustained. And so you have to look at that. Were those charges sustained? Um, what was the final outcome of that? Uh, did did he win appeals? Uh, because, you know, he has the right to appeal certain things. I think those are questions we have to get answered first. Uh, I don't know the answer to any of those. Um, I don't know. Uh, those would be interesting. I mean, those would, I'd love to hear the answer to that. Um, we all know people. We, we all know individuals uh, that have been problems uh, that we know, but for some reason they skated. And you know what, man? It would be interesting to see if some of those were formalized um, complaints or those were complaints of it on the informal level of, you know, counselings or don't do that again. But I don't know. I don't know why he was still on the yeah. department. Because that's, yeah. that wasn't the first time he used that tactic. It wasn't the first time. No. At one point he had been a training officer. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I believe there was an incident that came out after George Floyd's death that involved a uh, a teenager and so, again, you know, the Minneapolis Police Department is, is not a – I mean, it's a large police department. But at the same time, uh, you know, you, you, you have to ask yourself these questions, whether you're in law enforcement or whether you're not in law enforcement. Uh, how, how the structure of the agency, how does the command staff, does the police chief – stay on top of officers who have numerous infractions that rise to the level that this could end up becoming something that is is where an officer can be terminated through that through that process uh because again I think when you talk about people say well there's there's some counseling you can go through I think when an officer is bad you, you're not going to change that officer. You're just not. I think once he has, that's just in his DNA. He's just not going to change, even if he even if he goes to some type of counseling. Yeah, yeah, Virgil. It, it all goes down to we talked about a character flaw, um, and it goes back to what's what's what somebody been allowed to do. Um, I'm a, I'm a firm believer when you allow officers to act a certain way and you turn your head or people basically say, well, they really didn't do anything wrong. Uh, I think that gives them the ability, uh, to, to continue to do that and, and become progressively, um, aggressive and also progressively arrogant. So it comes down to, uh, what do they consider serious? Um, did they address it? 
did they document it? Because we all know if it didn't, if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. Um, I, being being a part of many of uh, uh, disciplinary processes, civil service hearings, uh, one of the things you never want to bring up is something that wasn't documented, uh, because that's not going to that's not the time to do it because it it doesn't it doesn't matter at that point. So a lot of times we don't document. Uh, Keith, we're getting ready to come up uh, on on our next break, and you know one of the things that you know I would like to uh, get into this conversation about uh, after the uh, the Chauvin verdict, um, you know there still seems to be this 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 culture where officers have seen what happened with every police officer in the United States has seen what happened to George Floyd. But there still seems to be this culture of officers can't control themselves. So when we come out of the break, we'll get into that uh, conversation about uh, how officers are are still not able to control themselves and put a pause uh, before they decide to use deadly force. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Having trouble with math or science homework? Call Rose Holman Institute of Technology's Homework Hotline, a free math and science tutoring service for Indiana students in grades 6 to 12. Call toll-free 1-877-ASK-ROSE from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday through Thursday. And a Rose Holman College student will help you with your math or science questions. The tutors are patient, smart, and pretty cool. Remember, it's a free service and a free call. That's 1-877-ASK-ROSE. Or visit askrose.org. Your mother-in-law just dropped in. It's dinner time, and she looks hungry. Time for a quick dinner. Think fast. Think eggs. Like an omelet with tomatoes and cheese. Quick, easy, delicious. So, she loves dinner, compliments your creativity, and finally admits you're not a shameless social climber who stole her baby boy away. All thanks to the incredible edible egg. For other quick dinner, lunch, and snack ideas, visit AEB.org. The incredible edible egg. The American Egg Board. Thank 
Hey, we want to welcome everyone back to you and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, you know, Keith, you know, right before we took that uh, break, you know, I, I asked the question, you know, uh, what has changed, if anything, uh, because we still continue to see uh, officers who cannot control themselves uh, and and how they're continuing to use deadly force. So uh, it, it's almost, you know, you, you can ask, you, you want to be very optimistic about it, but, you know, it's almost kind of like you, you go back and you say, you know, we're right where, you know, you, you thought things would be, uh, even after 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 what we witnessed with George Floyd. Well, you know, Virgil, I, I will tell you that um, I think there's I think there's two or three things that happen. I think you have officers that really believe they haven't done anything wrong, and that's the only way they can get a person under control. I think you do have those officers that really uh, don't know how to de-escalate. Uh, they they think they're de-escalating, and and I think you do also have this mindset that why didn't you use a gun? Uh, not every uh, death of an individual who's in custody handle I mean happens at the uh, you know at the uh, uh, hands of a gun. Uh, you know there are those incidents that. Uh, people are, you know, there might be a chokehold, uh, there might be a uh, some other form of asphyxiation, uh, there might be, a, you know, there's so many different ways, but I think people get so focused on, I didn't shoot anybody, uh, or I, w- I didn't mean to, to kill anybody or, or hurt anybody, and, you know, and, and, and the nation is just not hearing that, uh, no matter how we talk about, you know, I say this a lot, you know, police officers are human. Uh, we are. We're going to make mistakes. But to the community that we are, you know, we have the authority to carry a weapon. We have the authority to take someone's freedom. We have the authority to uh, enter someone's home, whether they want us in there or not, depending on the circumstances. And we also have the ability, uh, if God forbid, you know, us taking a life. So people look at that as this extreme power. And so, with that type of authority, people don't expect us to make those type of mistakes. Uh, they they expect us to be uh, uh, proficient and, and to be experts in our area. Now, is that fair? I don't know if it's fair or not. But you have to understand when you have that ability or that authority to take a life, depending on the situation, people do look at you to people do look at you a certain way. And whether we want yeah. to or not, you know, it goes back to that situation where they ask athletes, uh, are they role models? And, you know, you have some that say, I don't want to be uh, or I'm not. Well, you are. Whether it's a positive or negative role model, you are a role model. And so we're a mm-hmm. police officer. We have that ability. We have the right to – we have authority. Uh, we, have the, we have the right to control people based on the situation. So yes, people believe that we should we shouldn't make mistakes. Is that fair? Don't know. But that's the way people think. Can you guys hear me? No, sir. You cannot hear me. 
I can hear you now. Oh, I can't okay, okay. Can you hear me? I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Okay, can you can you guys hear me? I do apologize for that. I can hear you. Okay. Um I don't know if we have uh, Chief Green on the line. Um uh I do apologize for the tech difficulties. Of course the the beauty of editing we'll be fixing that on the rebroadcast, uh, Chief. But I, I wanna ask this that there's a comment and a question that came in. Um to both of you, I want to make sure that you guys can um, answer this question for me. Um, the, the comment that came in basically was, you know, why that George Floyd, that is, um, when they didn't acknowledge him and acknowledged in, in death, and, and I'm kind of agreeing with, with Chief Green that, you know, that it's a, you know, they didn't even, you can't even say the man's name, you know, I mean, I just, I'm not surprised, but, you know, it, it's it's really a lot of people that are uh, listening and sending in comments are saying they're not surprised, um, but it, it just shows in the end of the day the disrespect that they had for this man in death. That was a comment. I do want to go to the phones and bring in Sonata G in South Carolina. She has a question for both you, uh, Chief Green and Chief Humphrey. Go ahead, Sonata. Good evening. Good evening. Hello, how are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you doing? I'd just like to say thank you. I'm good and yourself, sir. Doing fine, thank you. Good. I'd like to say to L.A., thank you for allowing this platform that you provide so that the information can get out and we can act accordingly. And to you gentlemen, I appreciate your time and the real talk um, that we're having this afternoon. And my question is, why is it still a double standard for white police officers and black police officers when we say that everyone knows the policies and the practices? When I was growing up as a child, we were taught that the police officers were our friends and their job was to serve and to protect. What are we going to do about the mindset so that we can bring that back? So that's a good question. And, and one of the things that, that I want, let me just say this, there, there, 90, and I say this a lot, 98%, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you, can you guys hear me? Okay. 98% of the law enforcement officers out here doing the right thing. Um, you know, I know just as many African-American officers that do things that I don't understand than, than, than whites. Um, what I will say, it all depends on the culture of the organization. The culture of the organization and the leadership at the top of the organization determines on the changes that are made uh, within that organization, I will tell you that the, the most difficult part of being a police chief is having to deal with the unions uh, because the unions feel as though their members, depending on, you know, they feel like their members don't do anything wrong. 
uh, I, and I've, I had a discussion with my local FOP, and, and the bottom line, what I said was, instead of saying that you're here to defend your members, why don't you say you're here to represent? People understand that your representation, the purposes for unions. Unions do an amazing job when it comes to negotiations, negotiating salaries, negotiating benefits, and and things like that for their for their members. Uh, but I do think the unions have an opportunity, and they had opportunities during the George Floyd situation. This, this, um, conver- this conversation about the the culture of policing, where uh, you've got so many police departments and so many officers who are who they just don't want to change and so and they and, and some of them don't even like being held accountable so uh you know to uh to our listener you know it is uh, there still is a lot of questions about the culture of, of policing and how that culture of policing should change uh because even after this verdict of, of Chauvin, you still have uh, a lot of people who say he's innocent, and it's almost kind of like, you know, the same people are saying that, you know, what we witnessed at the state at the Capitol didn't happen. So uh, that that's real. That's a concern because it, it you have to ask yourself how will we move forward uh, after the Chauvin verdict. Well, let me let me say this to Sonata G also. Um, you know, one of the things that we have to keep in mind, too, is it just, like, I, you know, I was talking earlier about the culture. And, you know, sometimes people don't see themselves as who they really are. Uh, one of the things that you have to admit, if you if you have problems, if you have to admit that. Um, and people don't want to admit it, that, yeah, we, we got some bias toward people. Or, yeah, we do treat people different ways in this area. Or, yeah, we do police people differently. I mean, sometimes you have to admit to that, and then when you when you admit to that, then you can have that conversation. We in law enforcement don't like to admit when we're wrong. Um, we don't like some some don't like to take advantage of the opportunities to initiate healing. Um, and like that's what I was saying earlier, sometimes the, the the unions have an opportunity to get out ahead of it and be in the community. Uh, they won't do it. Uh, they automatically become defensive. Uh, let's, let's look at the situation that happened at the Capitol. I mean, you got police departments that think they'll say, "Well, my members had a right to be there. They had a right to be there. That's their right." Well, how does that look? <laughs> you know, what about how that looks? Yeah. What about how that perception? Because if you had one officer there and the community finds out there, they're going to lump all the officers into that. So we, we got to stop talking about well, that's their right to do that. You know, at the end of the day, where's the common sense? At the end, end of the day, where's the sensitivity? Where's the passion and the emotional intelligence? And some people just don't hey, have that. Chief, uh, I, I would just say, I know Sonata's still on the line. She spoke about the double standard in in policy and understanding policies. Then how do, it, it almost sounds like she can speak for herself, but it almost sounds like she's asking, it, you know, if these agencies can play dumb, like, well, I didn't know what the policy is. So then that would start oh, with, and I know, and I will say, uh, matter of fact, uh, Chief Green said this the other day, and I'm sure you're saying it, it starts with the chief. If if they're going to hide behind I didn't know, then it starts with you guys. 
Well, yeah, first, well, exactly. well, L.A., let me say this. L.A., let me say this. What have I said numerous times? It's not because you don't know. It's because you don't want to know. Right. I, I always go back. I always go back. To the I always go. Yeah, you, you don't want to know. Um, it, it, management by walking around, asking questions. You know, some of the toughest things or some of the pushback that I get is that I do walk around a lot. I do talk to the line-level officers. I do talk to the community. I do that, and that bothers people. That bothers some of my people because they feel like I should only listen to a certain number of people, a certain level of people, that I shouldn't listen to my to the people below me, you know, as far as officers. That's where you find stuff out. That's where you find that people aren't – that's where you find out supervisors aren't holding people accountable. That's where you find out mm-hmm. people, these officers – and that's where you and we don't we don't we don't do that. You know, the, the chiefs become afraid because they don't want the departments or the, the FOP or members of the department. But you don't you don't take these jobs to be popular. You don't take these jobs to be liked. You take these jobs for a purpose, and the purpose is to is to hold people accountable and to and to keep those communities safe. And, and some people want to be liked more than actually doing their job. Yeah. Hey, hey, guys, we just kind of went over our break. If we can get Sonata to stay on the line with us uh, yeah, after we take this uh, quick break, we'll definitely come back uh, and get – but you're listening to – we're going to take a quick break, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Now you can increase your yield by using Conklin's Guardian Slow-Release Nitrogen Additive. Guardian holds your nitrogen in the root zone where it's needed over a longer period of time. That, in return, can reduce your nitrogen rates. That saves you money. And whether you want it in a dry or liquid formula, Guardian helps in reducing groundwater contamination, too. So save your money and be a good steward all at the same time by using Conklin's Guardian. I want to feel the heat with somebody. Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Blog Talk Radio. The Unilaw broadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Show, WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We thank them for broadcasting this bad boy. Six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. The number to get in touch with Chief Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green. Interesting and very important topic uh, that needs to be discussed. We have people on the line that have some 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 comments. Um, Keith Humphrey and Green. I I will say uh, we did get some people that are agreeing with the premise out there, that question 
um, that Sonata put out there about the double standards. So, I mean, you got the double standards under under normal circumstances, and I understand what you're saying, Chief Humphrey, and and I applaud you for walking the beat inside your own agency because you need to know who the hell is doing what and what the hell is going on in your own agency. So you need to know the the, the people under you. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for anybody that can, that really uh, gives you a hard time, whether they're civilians or law enforcement, is really they really have their own agenda, in my opinion. Well, they do. They do. It, it's a political job, L.A. Um, there are just some people out here who are scared, man. Uh, they are just afraid. And, and that's scary when you have somebody running an organization that's responsible for safety of people that are afraid to make decisions and to, and to, and to stand up and do the right thing. I'll add to the, you know, and I'll add to that, Keith, that I think, you know, as Sonata stated, you know, the the double standard in, you know, my reply to that, you know, why is there a double standard? Why has law enforcement created, the culture of law enforcement created this double standard that we have? And that the public sees that there is a double standard. So, you know, when the public sees that there is a double standard, you know, here's a, a black officer who will get treated one way, and here's a white officer who does the exact same thing, and he he's treated differently. Uh, so, and and the public knows that, and so I think you know it's we're way past the time, Keith, for uh, police chiefs to to let the public know that these are the things that we're doing to. Um, address these the, uh, the bad culture in our agencies and the, and the bad officers because you know once again why does it take the death of a black man for to start a, a national conversation about the culture of policing and you have to ask yourself this question Keith and to our listeners if George Floyd was still alive today Derek Chauvin would probably have received number 20, number 25, 27 complaints uh, and, and still be doing the same thing that he's doing. So there's a lot you of know what, though, first, Derek Chauvin say this. throughout this country. Let me say this, Virgil. I'm confident knowing the chief of Minneapolis, he would have fired him. Say, for instance, if if, there, if if Chauvin had not, if uh, Floyd had not died, and based on the video, I believe he would have fired him. Uh, he, he, I, there's no other I, kind of guy I, who I, I believe with, he would have fired him. Yeah, well, and Keith, and I think some of our listeners will probably say, well, Chief, he already had 18 complaints. He had 18 right. personnel complaints. So yeah. that's why many, didn't that's something happen? That's the that's the thing, guys. That's so, the thing. So that, and, I think there's a lot of people are going to say, "No, wait a second. You know, if yeah. I work on a job and I got that many complaints, I would be fired." Well, we we deal with a different environment in policing, but at the same time, this is why the public says that they don't care if you're a black police chief or a white police chief. 
if you come out with this political correct conversation to us and say, well, I couldn't do this and I couldn't have done this here, but if you are trying to get rid of an officer who has six complaints, and these are pretty severe complaints that rise to the level of being terminated, and you go through that process of trying to terminate that officer, but there's barriers that's put in front of you to prevent you from doing that, then you as the police chief, you may take some heat internally, but you as the police chief need to let the public know, these are the barriers that I am dealing with, and this is why this officer is still there. Now, will that make you a popular police chief with internally with your agency? Probably not. Will that make you a popular police chief within the community? Probably so. And then let me ask you, just to follow up on that, uh, to to the chief, uh, to Chief Humphrey, you know, in my industry, we have an old saying, it's kind of funny, if they come to the radio station and change the locks, some either somebody lost their job or the station was sold, but something's going on. And, and mm-hmm. you don't really get a lot, there's not a lot of turnover or a lot of patience um, for that. Now, I, obviously... Uh, no disrespect. I'm not. Com- I'm not ever comparing what you guys put in your life on the line to radio. My point is that in the regular world, you know, you mess up, you ain't gonna get 18 chances to mess up, uh, Chief Humphrey. And then the other part of it is, you know, it, it, again, it goes back to the agency. So if you have a chief or an Eiffel Tower, an Ivory Tower in that city that's going to allow that to happen, then it really goes back to Chief, uh, both of you Chiefs, the, the culture of the industry, of the agency, of that city. If the culture is going to say, well, you know, uh, it's 18, but, you know, this this guy, he, he's got a, a, a great, you know, arrest record or whatever, then you let it go and then something happens. It, there has to be some kind of, I think most people, to both of you, Chief, I think most people feel there's got to be some form of universal standard that it cannot get to 18 misconduct and then you got somebody putting their knee on somebody's neck. It's got to be something way before that, and it's got to be across the board federally. That's what I'm thinking. But I think that's why you have. I think, and I think that's why it's so much easier to prove the civil, the federal civil rights case than it is state. Because this is the deal: state hmm. or the prosecuting attorneys or the district attorneys look at the elements of the offense and was it reasonable? What I think it's not reasonable. All it takes is that prosecuting attorney or that district attorney to say this is within state guidelines. It doesn't mean the elements of homicide. It doesn't meet the elements of um, it doesn't meet the elements of uh, negligent manslaughter. Manslaughter. It doesn't meet that. That's not on the mm. police department. That's on the prosecuting attorney or the district attorney. They have their reasons, but it still doesn't mean that the police department can't act accordingly. We, the police department, has nothing to do with the criminal part of it. Uh, we present the case because remember, remember I say that anytime you have a situation like that, that officer is. Hey, Cherie Cherie in California, uh, Chief Green says, so then 
what's the solution? How do you how do you spin it or promote it or market? It? And I don't know if those are the right words she used, but that's what she used in terms of making sure that people understand it's not the police department, uh, Chief Green, um, that makes those final decisions. It's the prosecuting department and then they, and that that leads to really that's a segregation thing there that's a separate thing there where they're not on the same page too well and you know one of the things uh, and it's a great question uh, from the listener one of the things that I'll add to that is LA that's that's why you have uh, so many people across the country feel that our uh, prosecutors are too close to to the police officers you know Police officers, they submit charges to, to the prosecutors, and so the prosecutor uh, is relying upon those officers or investigators to, to, to put together a really good, solid uh, case to present to them. And so if you've got a district attorney or a prosecutor has been, who's been in office for, you know, several decades, and he built a relationship with, with these officers, there's going to be some bias. I mean, there shouldn't be no bias, but there's going to be some bias that this prosecutor says, well, you know what, it really doesn't meet the element of what the statute says that this officer should be found guilty. But if I can't get a uh, – if I can't convict him, then I'm not even going to, to bring this case forward. So there are some systematic issues that occur with, with our prosecutors across the country and because they're going to say, well, it just doesn't meet the element of what this crime is. And think about that, guys. Um, I got a bunch of people on the line that, you know, that are in the chat room that are saying, OMG and wow. And it's almost like Chief um, uh, Humphrey, um, to the point of what you guys said in terms of the training, the, the, there's some, extracurricular training and there's some mandated training and the training that needs to be mandated is not there. Remember we had the wild moment there. Now you're getting people like, okay, well, police can just do whatever and the chief can do whatever and say, Hey, this is like you said, uh, chief Humphrey, I was optimistic that he would have got fired anyway. And then even if he got fired, a prosecutor could have came along and said, well, we're going to no build this. We're not gonna. We're not well, gonna I do can, anything with this cop. That's why we're getting the wilds tonight. We're getting the wilds and oh my God. Well, I give you a perfect example. Let's look at Louisville, Kentucky. How do you have a prosecutor that hides information from the grand jury? Yeah. When you start talking to those members of the grand jury, they basically say, "Hey, if we'd have been provided that information, you may have had a different outcome of." of indicting or at least uh, additional charges. That's why people don't have because, – because I get it. I think, I think, I think if people get it. People understand there's going to be force used by police officers. I don't think there's anybody that says they don't understand that. The problem is people think that we, we do things like the George Floyd situation and we get away with it. Unfortunately, the question becomes – did the prosecuting attorney in the George Floyd situation, did, he do the, did they do the right thing because it was the right thing to do, or did they do the right thing because they were afraid of the backlash if they didn't? you got to ask those questions. 
I think the deal in Louisville, Kentucky, he just outright lied. He he just outright didn't. He was just outright yeah. just he had yeah it, it, and, and, yeah it, and, and so you know that's that's what hurts us when when that kind of yeah. stuff. And and I'll say this really quick: there are always when there's a, when there's any type of use of force when it gets to the level of the George Floyd situation. There's always two investigations, concurrent investigations. There's an internal investigation to determine if any policies were violated. And then there's a criminal investigation to determine if any criminal laws. So you could be you can be convicted on a criminal case and not and, and find that you didn't violate any policy. Vice versa. Uh, but it, there are those times it runs concurrently where you were you were convicted of a criminal and, and you violated policy. So those are two separate incidents. You've got that administrative case to determine policy violation and if a person keeps their job, and the other one is criminal. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think the police department handles the whole thing. All we do is submit the case to the prosecuting attorney or the district attorney, and they make that decision whether to go to a grand jury or whether they're going to accept charges or not accept charges. Yeah, and 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 I'll and I'll add to that, you know, real quick because we're coming up on, you know, about just uh, well, you got you, you know, got five minutes. over you you got five okay. over. Go ahead, uh, Chief. Okay, all right, and and I'll add to you know we've got a lot of people that are on that's in the chat room, a lot of people that's on listening, and and they've got that that wow that that OMG you know factor, and this just goes back to, you know. The, the conversation we're having, you know, Keith, you brought up the the prosecutor in uh, Kentucky, or I think he may have been the the actually he was the the um, the uh, the attorney general uh, in Kentucky, yeah. and and so the attorney the attorney general in Kentucky withheld information from the grand jury. The grand jury found that information out, and the grand jury spoke out against the attorney general now this is another issue that we're seeing within the criminal justice system the politics now this man is black doesn't make any difference i'm missing the fact that he's black because he is black but the politics comes into play he's on oh he's a republican and so he's going to look at it and say well this is not i didn't find sufficient evidence so i'm not going to bring it to the grand jury, or if I do bring it to the grand jury, I'm going to limit the scope of information that I provide to the grand jury. This man was elected by the people in Kentucky, but clearly this man does not value, did not value, and does not value another black life. So, you know, just because he looks like us don't mean that he is for us because if he was, he is going to do the right thing no matter what color you are. And I think this just goes to the conversation, with, especially in the black community, is the fact that do you really see justice? And when you have somebody that looks like us, not to say that they're going to do, uh, that they're going to ignore what the law is, but apply the law the way the law should be applied because now here you are, you're a black man in a position to do the right thing, but you're not going to do the right thing. And and I think that's why you got so many people who have that, that oh, my God, that wow factor 
uh, and, when we and, have these conversations. And, and some of them, uh, to to you you guys, uh, are coming from Germany. Um, Hans and Sharita are in the, in the chat room. I, I know Sharita. Um, and they're saying if this American justice, then we don't need to be there. Now, that I don't know how fair that is or not because, you know, if you're in Germany, then you don't know what's going on. Um, but I did get another uh, person who said, again, how do you even have any form of justice against the police? This is for both of you guys. This has come from Natalie. And in the chat room says, how do you have any form of justice if if the justice is separated? And she said, in other words, he can get he or she can get fired as a police officer for misconduct or whatever she says, but can be not guilty in civil court. And she said, or the opposite. And that's a great point. How do you separate it? Yeah. Why is it separated to the both of you? How do you even how does that even work for? You know, and and that to to the public, uh, Chief Humphrey, Chief Green, they don't get that. They don't want to hear that. Right. Okay, he was fined and lost his job, but my my kid is still dead and he's still walking free. He could be a janitor right. somewhere. So that right. that's that's well, the because issue. That's the system. Because because people have to realize too, that's the system we have. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it, even as police chiefs. It's the system we have. It's the legal system we have. It's the disciplinary system that we have when it comes to law enforcement. These civil services are state law. I mean, these are the guidelines that have been put into place by uh, politicians uh, that are that that have uh, that the, the the FOP or the unions, uh, you know, contribute to their um, to their campaigns and to their this. So this is the system we have. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it all the time. I get it. I understand why you have unions. You know, this nation was based on unions. And, and, and you know, my dad had a good job and was able to pro- provide for the family because of the union. But I do think that the unions, especially law enforcement, have gone opposite of what the purpose of them is. And it does come to the point of where people definitely. believe all they do is justify, they justify, try to justify the, the bad behavior. And then they fight for these guys. Um, and, yeah. and then when the chief says, then they then they they do votes of no confidence against the chief. Uh, they you know they they basically uh, try to humiliate you know try to to to, to you know hurt the, the chief's reputation when the chief's trying to do their job. But it's the system that we have. Uh, how does it change? Well, you got to elect people, and in the in the in the in the, in the um, you know I think the mandatory training and the mandatory things that I think that this administration is going to hand down are going to make happen. But still, keep this in mind. Just because it's federal law, it doesn't mean that the states have to adapt it. Adopt it. They, they, they don't have yeah. to. The states can say, we ain't yeah. doing that. I don't agree yeah. with that. Hey, I, I don't agree with yeah. that at all, but it is what it is. I mean, that's what the system yeah. we have. Hey, and I, and I like to add to that. You know, let's, let's go back, Keith, let's go back 30 years to Rodney King. There, some people may remember Rodney King. Some people may not, depending on what what how old you are. But those officers were found not guilty in a criminal case. But on a, in a civil, the the city of Los Angeles paid Rodney King uh, for the, the 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 pain and suffering that he dealt with from those officers. So you had the civil no, side who no money. 
there is no money that can no. justify or that can satisfy somebody for pain and but, suffering or death. There's no amount. No, no. But that's what the city of Los Angeles did. And, and, and the simple fact that you go back 30 years and you see what happened then and you look 30 years later and you're still seeing how officers are able to get off criminally and sometimes get off civilly. But if they get off civilly, they still have a job. Their city pays out, and, 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 and they go on about their business. So, again, that's just it, – it's, it's a total system problem within the criminal justice system that really has to change. Uh, but, Keith, man, I, you know, we're, we're coming up on the, the last few uh, minutes of the show, man, and this has been – Another great topic, and we definitely thank all of you who are who have tuned in to to listen to us have this conversation with you, uh, and, and we Chief, hope that you will join us. Yes, Chief Green, uh, Sonata has said there should be no separation. Wrong is wrong. You should be held accountable for your actions, more so because you are sworn to uphold the law. You are the first partaker in the law. Was her comment to to the both of you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I agree. And, and I, mean, I, I totally agree. I, I, I totally agree. agree. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, you know, and I think this is a conversation, Keith, that, that we definitely need to pick back up next week. And hopefully all of you who are listening, who are in the chat room, who are on, definitely uh, tune back in uh, with us next Tuesday because we're going to pick this conversation up because I think this is, as we can see, a lot of people are engaged in this conversation about, uh, the culture of policing and when officers are either found guilty or not found guilty. So the public, we, there's a lot of things I think we can share with the public about uh, where things are at with policing. But, but Keith, it's been a great show, and uh, we'll definitely uh, be back again uh, next Tuesday uh, to, to finish up this topic of, um, you know, what happens after the, the verdict of uh, – of Chauvin and how do we move forward. But you've been listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
I just love that smiling face in the early sun. If I can't have you to myself, then life's no fun. I'd rather be with you, I want to be your friend, not now and then, but until the end. I just love the way you like, and that's a fact. I want to be your number one, so get to that. Tyler, 
No 
دیوانه جه 